0: Bibles to John chapter 11 John chapter 11 today we are getting back into our study of the book of John and last week we finished up our eight-week series that we began in the beginning of the year um, entitled let us be in 23 but now we're getting back to the book of John John chapter 11 today and uh, you know, when we finished back in December, we were finishing up John chapter 10 and Jesus had been in Jerusalem and and um, he got to a place where his teaching was really infuriating the, the, the Pharisees and they were going to stone him. And at the end of chapter 10, it says that Jesus departs Jerusalem and he goes across the Jordan to um, the place where John the Baptist had been baptizing in the very beginning. And if you look at the beginning of John chapter 1, verse 28, you'll see where Jesus was. He went across the Jordan into the region. He left Judea, the region of southern Israel, Judea, and he crossed the Jordan with his 12 disciples, the apostles, and now he's in the region of Perea, and he's in a town called Bethany. Now, that's, you got to keep that in your mind, all right? Because where we're going here in John, or John chapter 11 is to another town called Bethany. And um, in the town that we're looking at in John chapter 11, there's this family that lives there. And there are two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And um, Lazarus, we don't know how or what he had, but he all of a sudden became ill. And it just wasn't like he had a, had a head cold. There was something so serious wrong with Lazarus that Mary and Martha was like, we need to send a message to Jesus. That's what's going on here. And the, re- the reality is, is, is Mary and Martha were, were at a place where they're like looking at their, their brother. And I'm sitting there thinking, it doesn't give us a lot of details, but if they're sending for Jesus, I'm thinking he's on his bed. And I'm thinking he's probably feverish, you know, just sick. And, and, and they, they're, they're at a, having some emotional trauma going on here. And the reality is that um, he just doesn't stay sick, but he ends up dying. Would anybody other than me think those are some painful circumstances? All right. I mean, any kind of major health issue is a, is a painful circumstance. When you have a death in the family, that's a painful circumstance. Financial issues can be painful circumstances. Relational things can be painful circumstances. Here's the truth, guys. Painful circumstances are coming, aren't they? You're just going to face them. And that's what we're looking at today is, what do we do when we're dealing with painful circumstances? And that's what... I want to address today is I want to look at six things that we need to know when you are facing painful circumstances and so here's the first thing I, I would encourage you to take notes whether it's on an I in the the outline or a notebook but write these things down here's the first thing when you're going through painful circumstances here's what you need to know you need to know that the Lord is the one to get after You need to know that Jesus is the one that you've got to get after. And this is what we see here in these first few verses. So starting in chapter 11, verse 1, it says, And now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and Martha, her sister. And it was Mary who had anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with his hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Now let me just... Pit stop there at that, at that verse because when we get to chapter 12, we're going to see that happening that Jesus is going to be anointed by Mary. And we're going to be like, now, wait a minute. Back in chapter 12 or chapter 11, it already said that took place. So, how is it happening in chapter 12? Well, you've got to understand, remember that, like, the Bible was not dictated like a broadcaster announcing a football game or a baseball game. It wasn't play-by-play dictation, all right? You got to remember that the, like the book of John would have been written years after it took place, okay? So the book of John would have been written later on as John was inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would have brought back to his memory, here's what happened. Write it down now. So when he says that this event that Mary is the same woman that anointed Jesus, he's already had that happen. It already took place. He's just reminding his readers, here's who Mary was, okay? So if you read that then when we get to chapter 12, hopefully that will connect again, all right? But chapter verse 3 is the key verse though. So Lazarus is ill Verse 3, it says, so the sisters sent to him, to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. They're looking at Lazarus, and we don't know how long he had been sick. I don't think he just like woke up one day and was like, oh, man. I'm thinking they probably saw him deteriorate. And he's at a place now where they're like, we need to get Jesus. We don't know what to do get to Jesus. He's not getting better. Get to Jesus. He's really sick. Get to Jesus. Okay. Now I told you that Jesus was across the Jordan in another town called Bethany. All right. So you have Mary, Martha and Lazarus living in Bethany. And now Jesus is in another town called Bethany. Now I looked on a a, a map of Israel and these two Bethany's are approximately 20 miles apart, all right? So Jesus was probably a five, maybe six-hour walk back to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, okay? So it wasn't like he was, like, you know, a long ways away, 20 miles, short walk. Well, for him, it would have been a short walk. For us, it'd be like, man, I gotta take a break. I'm tired, but 20 miles, not very far but they get after Jesus because they don't know where, they they have no other alternative. Get to Jesus. Let me ask you, how do you and I, I mean, they had the physical Jesus to get to. We don't have a physical Jesus to get to. How do you and I get to Jesus? How? Prayer. Prayer. That's our connection to getting to Jesus is through his word and through prayer. All right. So when we need to get to Jesus, we have to pray. But let me ask you, how serious we are? Are we really about prayer? Because think about this. When have you ever heard someone say, or maybe you have said this, well, I've done everything I can. I might as well try to pray. Prayer becomes last-ditch effort. Prayer is something that, well, I I don't know. I've tried my wisdom. I've tried my strength. I've tried my creativity. I've tried everything that I can do. Well, I I don't know what else to do. Let's try prayer. And prayer just kind of becomes this like leftover thing we do. The reality is we're too busy to pray. Because how many of you know prayer takes time? You've got to be able to to cut out some time in your day and spend some time with Jesus in prayer. A lot of us, we just don't pray. And we don't pray because, let's just be, can we just be in, we're in church, honest time? We sometimes think it just doesn't matter. It isn't gonna do anything. I don't have time. It's too much of an inconvenience. Why do I need to pray? Because we gotta get after Jesus. That's the reality, and the Bible tells us the importance of prayer. Now here's the thing. It's a cliche, isn't it? Well, pray about it. It just seems like it's a cliche. How many of you remember the old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus? And here's how this song opens up. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because, you guys know the rest? Because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Do we really got to carry everything to God in prayer? Do we got to really pray to God a lot? Why can't we just, in the heat of the moment, pr- listen to these verses? I encourage you to write these down and even read them yourself. Romans chapter twelve, verse twelve tells us this: Be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. 1 Thessalonians five seventeen says, "Pray without ceasing." Colossians four two says, "Continue steadfastly in prayer." Philippians four six says, "Do not be anxious about anything." But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Do you notice how often the Bible instructs us to pray? Now, when it says to to continuously pray, to pray without ceasing, to constantly pray, he's not saying that you got to be on your hands and knees 24-7 and your life is just prayer. Those ideas of constantly and without ceasing is like, man, you better be getting after the Lord. Get after him. But the reality is we don't do it. We don't pray. Mary and Martha, they're like, man, we need to get to Jesus. And I sit and wonder if that song was hitting the nail right on the head. How much peace do we forfeit? How much pain do we still bear? All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. But yet, I just preached this a few weeks ago. How often are we anxious? Why? We're anxious because we're not praying. We're anxious because we're holding on to. We think, I'm in control of this thing. I've got to change the situation. I've got to do something. Paul says, no, no, no. Here's how you get rid of your anxiety. With everything. Through everything, pray. Keep praying. When you don't see an answer, pray. How long should I pray? I don't know. Until you get an answer. You pray. Here's here's three answers you're going to get from God when it comes to prayer. Yes. No. Wait. That's it. So, when you pray for something, God is either going to answer the prayer the way you prayed it, or he'll answer it differently. So if you get the answer to what you're praying, you don't need to pray about that anymore. But if you don't see the answer, do you stop praying? No, you keep praying until you realize God is doing something different in this. And then when you start to realize God is doing something different, he's not answering it the way I want to Then I change the way I'm praying. But the idea is that you and I, when you're going through painful circumstances, you better be getting to Jesus. You need to be praying. Here's the second thing when you're going through painful circumstances. You need to know that the Lord loves you. You need to know that the Lord loves you. So again, verse three. It says that the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Do you notice it doesn't say, hey, Jesus, Lazarus, who loves you, is ill. It says, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. I love that. They realize how much Jesus loves them. They know the relationship they have with Jesus. If you even look at verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them, and they knew it. These verses show a very close, intimate relationship between Jesus, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. To the point that Martha and Mary, when they sent the messenger to Jesus, was able to say, the one whom you love is ill. That's great news for you and me. Because here's the thing. Um, It's not about how much you love God. It's about how much God loves you. You're saved not because of how much you love God. You're saved because of how much God loves you. God works in your life not dependent upon how much you love him. He works in your life because of how much he loves you. And here's the thing. God's love doesn't change based on your love for him. I'm so grateful for that. I'm so glad that God, as he says in Malachi, I, the Lord, do not change. And so his love for you doesn't change despite who you are. Because anybody other than me, there are days in your life you're not very lovable. So those of you who are married, I'm sure your spouse would be like, "Mm -hmm. I contend that she is not very lovable. He's definitely not very lovable. Aren't you glad that God's not looking at you going, today you weren't very lovable, so I can't love you today. The love of God for you and me goes beyond a measure that we can't even begin to fathom. Ephesians chapter three, verse 18 says this. Paul is writing to the Ephesian church. He's writing this to Christians. And and I love that, that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these writers of scriptures wrote what God wanted to say. So this is God speaking through Paul to Christians to remind them of something. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, I pray that you may have the power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Think about that. And imagine if Paul had written that letter to us and, and I'm up here reading that and I'm like, hey hey listen to this, where's what Paul has to say to us today? He's like, I pray that you will grasp one thing. how wide, how high, how long and how deep is the love of Christ, A love that surpasses knowledge. Your knowledge, you can't on your best day, you can't grasp how, Great, the love of God is for you. Now, why am I hammering this home so hard? Why am I hammering this little snippet of the one whom you love is ill? Why is this so important for you and I to grasp the love of God in our circumstances? Here's why. The enemy wants to convince you and me That if God loved you, this wouldn't be happening in your life. He wants to convince us that there is, is, is kind of like a connection between the love of God and our circumstances. He wants to convince you and I that, well, if God loved you, if you're his child, you should be exempt from pain. If God really loved you, you shouldn't have any problems. Do you ever have those thoughts? Do you ever have those thoughts of going, why is this happening to me? You see, the enemy wants to convince us that if God truly loved you, if that depth of God is that deep for you, then why do you have the health crisis? Why did that death happen in your family? why did you lose your job if god really loved you you shouldn't have this pain you know it's interesting as i put together this message and i was going through the text i just kept reading through it kept reading through it and 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 i'm looking at this narrative and i'm looking at this the the death of lazarus i'm like how does this apply to us today so as i kept going through these 16 verses Finally, it just like an onion starts to like I'm peeling apart an onion and then I start to start to see things And then all of a sudden I start to see these points. I'm like, here's where it is It's it's when we're going through these hard times. Here's what's going on now when I put my message together here was my thinking I Don't know if I have the right message because why do these people need to hear this again? I just taught a couple weeks ago about trusting God I've talked about this. Is this the first time you ever heard me say this kind of stuff? No. You've heard me numerous times talk about if that 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 sometimes we have that thought of like, well, if God loves me, I should not have a problem. So I'm in my mind thinking, maybe this message isn't necessary. Maybe, maybe I'm I'm wrong here. And so I, you know, I'm thinking this Friday. I'm thinking this yesterday. And that's a dangerous place for me to be, is on Saturday I'm doubting my message because there is no new message coming out of me in less than 24 hours. And then I'm reading in Romans yesterday in my own quiet time, and I come to Romans chapter 15, verse 15. And Paul's like, I write to you very boldly as a reminder. Paul just like, I'm just writing all this stuff to remind you again. And then all of a sudden, it was like the Holy Spirit just reminded me how many times you see Paul and Peter and different writers going, "Um, it's not like I haven't said this before. I'm just reminding you again. And so as I sat and pondered that, this thought came to my mind. And it's like, do you want to know why you need to constantly tell your people about the love of God despite their circumstances? Because the enemy never shuts up. Jesus tells us that the enemy, Satan, is a liar and the father of lies. And anything he says is a lie. So every time the enemy tries to tell you something... The only thing he's going to tell you about the love of God in your circumstances is a lie. And that lie is going to be consistently and constantly the same thing. God does not love you because of your pain. He wants to convince you if God truly loved you, if the depth of God's love is as deep as the word of God says, why are you in pain? Why did you experience the loss? Why are you going through the health crisis? That doesn't make sense. If God truly... Because that lie is going to be constant in your head. And so the only way you can combat the lie is with what? Truth. And so I have got to consistently remind you, God loves you despite what you're going through. Your pain... The love of God does not exempt you from pain. It just doesn't. The love of God goes deeper despite your pain. And he still loves you in the middle of the pain. And that's why Mary and Martha knew this. Man, our our brother's dying. But the one whom you love, Lord, is ill. They knew that love. And today, you need to continue to grasp that love. Look, grasp the love that God loves you. And it is deep. And he, that love for you does not change. It is constant and it is deep, even in our pain. Here's the third thing. When you're going through painful circumstances... No, the Lord ought to be glorified. When you're going through these painful circumstances, you need to know that the Lord ought to be glorified. Look at verse four. He says, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, is Jesus contradicting himself? Because the reality is Lazarus does die. So does Jesus not know what he's saying? Is he lying? No. When he says this illness will not end in death, what he's saying is death will not have the final say. He's like, um, I will. He's like, he's like, the ultimate thing is, like he, he, Jesus already knows, and we're going to see this, Lazarus dies. He already knows it. And so he's telling his disciples, um, death's not going to win. We even sang that song that um, I think it's, which one talked about that death doesn't have the say. I can't remember what song. It was like, I don't know why, why I said that. It was, I was sitting there thinking that as we were singing the song, that it's like death doesn't have the final say. Jesus always has the final say in everything in every circumstance of our life, Jesus has the final word, all right? And he says the ultimate, the ultimate conclusion of, of Lazarus' life here is not that he's going to die. The ultimate conclusion is that I will be glorified, that the Lord himself, God, will be glorified through this. Again, how does that apply to you and me? Here it is. In your pain. Your health crisis, the death of a loved one, your finances, whatever it may be, in that painful circumstance, can you glorify God? A lot of people can't. That word glory there, or glorified, it means to praise, to elevate, to worship. To praise Elevate to worship. What Jesus is saying, he's like, in all of this, the entire thing about Lazarus and what's going to happen is all about one thing, worshiping God, elevating him and elevating me. Again, this is something I have said multiple times. A lot of Christians do not go into a tailspin spiritually when life is good. We just don't, do we? I mean, we. I mean, it's easy to get pulled away from church because the we get caught up in the worldly stuff. But for the most part, when life is good, man, we're showing up for church. We're reading our Bibles. We're worshiping on Sunday mornings. We're going to group, whatever it may be. We're engaged. But a lot of Christians, once the pain hits, and we go through the crisis, how many people stop? engaging we stop coming to church we stop connecting we stop worshiping we stop why because we're now angry at god we're not worshiping god we're not going to elevate god we're not going to we go backwards and we get angry at god we 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 don't i'm not going to worship him Jesus is saying, in the pain, can you still glorify me? Can you still worship me? If you go back to the book of Job, Job lost three things. He lost his money. He lost his children. He lost his health. Money, death, health. The three big ones. Don't we deal with those? Our money. If we're having issues with our money, death or our health. Don't those bring a crisis in our life a lot? And when we're having a crisis in one of those three areas, we're at a crossroads with God. Now, when you read Job and his wife, they responded in two different ways. Job's wife was like, dude, why don't you just curse God and be done with all of this? Just give up. But Job did the exact opposite. Here's what it says Job did in chapter 1, verse 21. It says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That word blessed, when he says blessed be the name of the Lord, that word blessed means to glorify, to worship. He's like, the Lord has given me so much, but the Lord has also taken it away. But I will worship him. I will praise him. I will glorify him. You see, that's the crossroad you and I are at the same way. When you have pain in your life, what direction do you go? I'm going to curse God and walk away, or I'm going to praise him and move closer to him. You need to understand When we bring glory, when we worship, when we elevate Christ in our pain, it really does a couple of things. One, it keeps me and God in our rightful place, okay? When I choose to worship in my pain, in that crisis, in that storm, in that fiery trial, when I choose to worship, I choose to engage, I choose to draw closer to God, what that does, it helps me to go, God... I'm gonna keep myself humble before you. When I choose to get angry at God, when I choose to blame God, when I choose to go thank you but no thank you God and shake my fist at God, what I'm saying is, God, I am in control. And God, you better align you with me. But when I choose to worship, when I choose to say, Jesus, I elevate you. In this pain, I elevate you. It is like an anchor to him. And now all of a sudden I realize God you are greater than 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 this thing. It goes back to remembering how much he loves me and I can put myself in that place of worship again. In the pain can you worship him? He ought to, and he needs to be elevated and glorified because he's the Lord. Here's the fourth thing. When you're going through painful circumstances, you need to know that the Lord knows what he's doing. You need to know that the Lord knows what he's doing. So again, in verse 3, they sent Jesus a message. Lord, whom you love is ill. Now, Let's think outside the box here. When they send that message to Jesus, if you were Mary and Martha, what would you be expecting? You're expecting Jesus to show up. Now you know, hey, you know what? He's he's about 20 miles away. He's about four, five, six hours of walk. We can wait on him. He'll be here soon. And so we don't know after they sent the message, did the messenger go back and go, I got Jesus the message. He'll be showing up here pretty soon. Look at verse five. Five and six. Now Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. Now verse six. When he heard that Jesus was ill, he left immediately because he wanted to get there. Did anybody other Bible say that? No, that's the book of second opinions. Here's what it says. He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He stayed. So Mary and Martha sends the message. Mary and Martha are thinking, man, Jesus is showing up. They wait, they wait. 12 hours has passed. Now it's starting to become nighttime. Well, maybe he got sidetracked. I'm sure he's on his way. They go through the night. I'm sure they didn't sleep that night. They wait. They get, you know, sun comes up the next day. Still no Jesus. Okay, that's all right. That's all right. He's coming. They go through an entire day. No Jesus. They go through another night. No, Jesus. Now it's another day. And at this time, and we're gonna see Lazarus has died. And no Jesus. If you look at verse 20, we know that they wanted Jesus to show up because when you look at verse 20, It says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, so when he finally started to come, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. In verse 21, Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, our brother would not have died. You see, they were expecting Jesus to be like that day, showing up, but Jesus did not. You see, We, if let's be honest, we are no different from Martha and Mary. When we pray for something, a health crisis, financial crisis, whatever it may be, when you pray for something and you're asking God, God, will you bring the healing? God, will you save us from this financial peril? God, will you do this? God, this is what we need. God, will you show up? God, here's where it is. Let me ask you, are you praying, God, your will be done, Or, God, this is what I want and you better do it. Isn't that really where we're at, if we're honest? When we pray, we are like Mary and Martha. When we pray and ask God for something, we are really expecting God to answer according to whom? Everybody do this. To us. God, you better show up according to my timetable. God, you better show up according to how I want you to to act. God, you better do what I'm asking you to do. Because again, the enemy is lying to us. You know, if God loves you, he'll do what you are asking him to do. If God loves you, you're part of his family. You're asking him for healing. Healing will come. You're asking for the financial provision that that God will do what you're asking. But what happens when he doesn't? What happens when God chooses to be God? Jesus was being God at this moment because Jesus knew something that his 12 followers did not. Jesus knew something that Mary and Martha did not know. Jesus knew. And how many of you can understand that Jesus knew what he was doing? Even though he stayed for two more days. In our, and I'm sure in their minds, Jesus does not know what he's doing. Do you ever think that? I know we don't want to answer that question because that's so ungodly. But let's be honest, do you ever think God does not know what he's doing? Do you understand why it's so easy to become angry at God? Do you understand why it's so easy not to want to worship God? Do you understand why it's so easy to believe that God doesn't love me? Because we think that God does not know what he's doing. When God's not responding to how we think, God doesn't know what he's doing. When he doesn't respond in our timetable, God doesn't know what he's doing. When he's not answering our prayers according to what we want and what we need, God does not know what he's doing. And it's so easy to shake my fist at God. This is why we've got to come to the place. Can you settle your heart when you pray for something, no matter what it is? When you pray for something, can you pray it this way? God... Now, now here's the thing. Should you pray with faith and believing God for the miracle? Absolutely. Should you pray with confidence and expectation? Absolutely. When you read about Paul when he was in prison and he was writing letters to the churches, here's what Paul would pray. Hey, I'm expecting to come to you here pretty soon. And he's in prison. He's in a Roman prison. But he's telling his people, hey, I'm expecting to be showing up. Well, guess what Paul never was able to do? Show up. Because he was killed in prison. He died in prison. So can you, when you pray, you pray believing God. God, here's what I'm praying for. And I'm going to believe you're going to do it. And I'm going to expect you're going to do it. And I'm going to have confidence, God, that you can do this. But can you also pray? God, your will be done. Can you pray? Yep, pray with expectation. Pray with a believing heart. But can you also pray with open hands and completely surrender that prayer request to him? That's where the rubber meets the road. Can you pray for the healing with open hands? God, I'm going to pray that you're going to heal me. I'm going to pray that you're going to heal my wife. I'm going to pray you're going to heal my child. I'm going to pray you're going to. But God, here it is. God, I'm going to pray that my spouse who doesn't know you and has never. I've prayed for years, God, that they would come to know you. But here they are. You, your timing, God. That's hard. But it's necessary. To be able to come to the place to go, God, I trust you. And I believe what you're doing. You know what you're doing. I got to believe that Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. When he heard Lazarus, the one whom he loved, was ill. He doesn't move. And he stays right where he's at for two more days can you in your painful circumstances trust god enough that he if he doesn't move and he doesn't act and he doesn't respond according to your request can you still pray god your will be done and not mine here's the fifth thing when you're going through painful circumstances you need to know that the Lord is master of every situation. You need to know that the Lord is the master of every situation. Look at verse 7. It says, after he said this to his disciples, he said, let us go to Judea again. Remember, he's in this area of this region called Perea, and now he's going to go back to Judea, Judea, because that's where Bethany is, by Jerusalem. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, The Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you want to go there again? You see, if you go back to chapter 10, when he was in Jerusalem and in preaching, it says that the Jews, the Pharisees wanted to stone him. They were done with him. They wanted to kill him. So he leaves. Now he's going to go back, and the disciples are like, whoa, time out. Are you telling me you're going to go back? That's crazy sauce. You can't do that because they're going to kill you. Well, look at what Jesus says to them. Look at verse 9. And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day if anyone walks in the light? He does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Okay, that, that, that helps me a lot. I mean, they're asking, why are you going to go back to Jerusalem? Well, because there's twelve hours in the day. You don't stumble in the light. If you're in the dark, you're going to stumble. You think this twelve would have been like? Here he is again, talking in riddles. Why? What is he saying here? Jesus is basically saying, when you're, he's got to remember, light and dark are always metaphors for God. Light is always referencing God. Darkness is always referencing away from God. And he's like, look, he goes, if you're walking with God, it's like you're walking in the light. And you're okay. He's basically telling these guys, um, God has my life in his hands. I'm not going to go be afraid to go back to Jerusalem, to Judea, thinking I may be killed. If I go back and God wants me to die, I will die. If not, I'm going to heal Lazarus and raise him from the dead. So get your bags, pack up, let's check out of the hotel, we're out of here. He understood that God the Father had his hands had his life in his hand, and God was in control of it. He was the master of it. Can you think that way? Do you believe that God knows what he's doing and that he is the complete master of every situation in your life? Again, the enemy wants to convince you that he doesn't have it in control. He's not the master. You're the master. God doesn't love you. Because if he did, you wouldn't be in this situation. And the enemy wants to take your pain and twist it and mangle it in every situation to convince you to not trust God. Walk away from God. He's not dependable. You can't trust him. If you could trust him, you wouldn't be in this mess. But do you and can you understand and trust that God has every situation of your life in control? He knows what he's doing. He hasn't fallen asleep at the wheel He knows the pain you're going through. He's allowed that pain in your life for a reason. Can you trust him? Again, that's just you and me coming back and settling my heart to go, I trust the Lord. He is master over my situation. And while I'm walking with him, whatever comes into my life, I can trust him. And then lastly, when going through painful circumstances, it's this. The Lord is about strengthening your faith. When this is all said and done, it's about strengthening your faith. Because if you look at now at verse 11, he says, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant just taking a nap or taking a sleeping, a rest and sleep. But then in verse 14, Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus has died. And here it is. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And Thomas called the twins said, to his fellow disciples, I love this, let us go, that we may die with him also. Thomas is just like, oh, well, let's go. We're going to die. No faith, man. Jesus just explained to him, God's got my, he's got my life in his hands. I'm not going to stress. And Thomas is like, well, they told us if you come back here, you're dead. We're going to, we're going to find you. We're going to stone you. So let's go, man. Kudos to the, to to the, to the, like, he's just like, I'm on board with Jesus, like, I'm connected, but no faith. We're going to die. We're all going to die. We're all going to get with the Jesus is like, I'm glad. He's not glad that Lazarus died. He's glad that they weren't there. Because if they were there, yes or no, Lazarus would have died, yes or no? No. He wouldn't have died. He would have just been sick. Jesus would have healed him, boom. But They've already seen that kind of stuff. But to see someone who had been dead for four days in the tomb, wrapped up, and to be able to... Well, we're going to get to that rest of that story in a, next week, I think. He wanted them to have an assurance of something that would build their faith. When he says that you would believe in me, they already believed in Jesus. He wanted them to have such a faith in him because there's going to come a day when he will be gone. And these guys will have to do this on their own. And they're going to have to have memories and be able to think backwards and go, man, do you remember when we walked up to and Jesus walked up to the tomb of Lazarus? And These guys are going to have to walk through life without Jesus believing him. Gang, that's you and me. We don't have Jesus physically in our presence, but what we do is by faith, trust him. And so every time you and I go through a crisis, we trust God and we see God work through it, whether he answers our prayer according to what we are praying, but he works us through that. So when you're going down through life and you come through another crisis, guess what you're able to do? And we sang that. You were faithful then, You'll be faithful now. Your faith grows. You're able to say, man, I trust God. I may not understand it. I may not see it. I may not know why. But you're the way maker, God. And I will trust you. And every time you go through a painful crisis, a painful circumstance, all that is meant to do is to continue to build your faith. To build your faith to know he loves you to build your faith to the point where you can worship him in anything and everything, to build your faith to know that he knows what he's doing, to build your faith to know, you know what? He is master of every situation in my life, and I will trust him. Church, can you do that? Are you there? If you're not there, I wanna pray for you. So if you would, about your head. It's easy to put on a pretend face when you come to church to talk to people and pretend that you're doing okay, but maybe some of you inside, you're just dying. You're, in, you're going through some painful circumstances. And maybe for you, you're having a hard time trusting the Lord. Maybe you're doubting his love for you. Maybe you're doubting he, he knows what he's doing. Maybe you're you're you're, you're just, you're not sure, and your faith is weak, maybe this morning you need to just come to that place where you just surrender it all and say, God, help me to trust you. Help my faith in this moment. God is not going to turn you away because you ask him to help you in your weakness of your faith. The Bible makes it very clear. The Bible, Paul says, you know what? Encourage those whose faith is weak. God wants to encourage your faith. He wants to build you up and strengthen you. And so if that's you this morning, I just want to pray over you this morning. Father, I thank you that you are a God that loves us, a God that knows exactly what is happening in our life. You know every detail. You know every, every problem, every pain, every circumstance. And maybe there are some here this morning, God, whose faith is faltering and is weak and they're doubting and the enemy is having a field day with them and barraging them with all kinds of lies and they're believing the lie more than the truth. Lord, I would pray today they can surrender that and believe the truth about who you are and what you can do in the circumstance and they can trust you and believe in you. So Lord, I just pray that you would just strengthen everyone's faith in here through every circumstance, through every pain, every problem, Lord, let it be a building block as we walk through this life on this side of heaven. Lord, help us to remember you are the way maker. When we can't feel it, you are moving. When we can't see it, you are moving because you know what you're doing. And help us to trust in you this morning, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and close.